Hi folks. This bonus episode is part of the Bridging the Echo Chambers project, a project run and operated by a great Alberta-based organization called Food Water Wellness Foundation. The Food Water Wellness Foundation works with agriculture producers and researchers to understand how soil can be used to mitigate climate change, droughts and floods, increase biodiversity, and most importantly, produce healthy food. The Bridging the Echo Chambers project delves into the debate about the impacts of livestock on the environment and how we can facilitate healthy and constructive conversations between people who have different views and opinions. So pretty relevant stuff since the livestock and environment issue has been a hot button issue for quite some time now. In this episode, we'll be talking to David Irvine about the strategies we can employ in order to have these conversations. We hope you find the Bridging the Echo Chambers podcast series thought-provoking as well as helpful. For more information about the overall project and to watch a short video on the project, go to the Food Water Wellness Foundation website. More information about the project can also be found on Facebook, Just search Bridging the Echo Chambers. My name is David Irvin, and it's great to be here with you, Derek. And I live about five minutes southwest of Cochrane, just west of Calgary. I grew up on a farm in central Alberta, little farm, and I got rural roots And my first career was actually in family therapy. So I started, I did my graduate work in the States. And then I came back here and opened up my own private practice doing family counseling in Lethbridge. And it was really interesting because I started to get calls for family counseling from lawyers and tax accountants who were sitting across the table from in farm families who said, you know what, we got hired to be a, a lawyer here but they don't need a lawyer. They need a counselor. Or we got hired to be an accountant, but they don't need an accountant. They got to sort out their intergenerational problems first. So probably for almost 10 years, the vast majority of my clients that I was working with were families. And I'd travel around Southern Alberta and sit across the table with them and help them deal with their issues. You know, talk to each other and learn how to communicate and talk about what their goals are and what their concerns were and what their frustrations were and how to come up with some resolution to it. It's so fascinating because like when I, like I said, I remember hearing about you five years ago, but I like knew you as the succession planning guy. I, I did not know that it started off as the family therapist and it transitioned into a succession planning. It was really interesting. So yeah, it did evolve into succession planning. And then I ended up doing parenting talks and got invited into corporations. And really what I've been doing since 1989 is predominantly working in the corporate field in the leadership development area. So I have seminars where I bring leaders in from a wide variety of organizations at different levels of organizations. They come in and they spend time learning how to be a leader. And then we have a whole community of leaders that work together. But I'll tell you, most of what I teach these leaders in the corporate area is what I learned on the farm. It's just basic sort of you know, like accountability, you know, a handshake means that you're going to keep your word. So a big part of what I owe today to the success and the honor that I've had and the blessing that I've had to do this work comes from my rural roots. So whenever I have a chance to go back 
and visit my rural roots, I always welcome that opportunity. It's, it's where I was raised. It's the foundation of my life. It's the foundation of our whole world today, certainly in this, in this part of the world. I just appreciate rural roots and I appreciate, Eric, what you're doing here. The main reason that we invited you on the podcast today is because we want to talk about the Bridging Echo Chambers project. Could you just like really briefly give us an idea like what the project's about and how you got involved? It stemmed from the Food Water Wellness Organization, and they really wanted to bring the, all the voices together around climate change and all the stakeholders related to agriculture and how food was raised and get all the people, all the stakeholders together talking about what matters around what we eat and how that impact, how we, how we grow our food and how that impacts climate change. But what they were really interested in is to offer some perspective at how we talk to each other about that, because there's so much, first of all, there's so much in this internet world that we live in. And, and we all, you know, and what we know about the internet is that we have a tendency to align ourselves with people who think the same way that we do, particularly related to social media. So we have these camps, these echo chambers that are going on. And what Food Water Wellness wanted to do was to do just that, to bridge those. And first of all, to get us an idea of what people are saying about from all the different stakeholders. And then how do we begin to bridge that into some common ways of not just understanding each other, but teaching each other how to bridge those echo chambers. It's the same process as bridging the echo chambers in an intergenerational farm operation, because you get, you know, two people in a marriage have their own echo chambers. I was raised with an echo chamber and all the, all the voices that I heard in my upbringing. My spouse was raised in her echo chamber. Well, there's some skills at bringing those echo chambers together. And basically, that's what we did is took that same process. And that's why they invited me to come in. I'm a, an ally of that organization and great friends and have great respect for that organization. So they asked me to come in to see if I would facilitate that process and offer a strategy for how do we teach each other, not just what the issues are, but how do we actually teach each other to bridge that echo chamber? How do we build unity amid diversity so that we can all get along here and have some common understanding of each other in the midst of thinking differently about the issue? You know, I definitely want to hear about that strategy. Yeah. But before we dive into that, I'm just curious, how was the experience for you? It was amazing. What I, you know what I realized there from the whole thing? Yeah. I mean, we were talking to vegans, we were talking to feedlot operators. We were talking to cattle ranchers. We were talking to uh, chefs. And we were, had all these stakeholders that people that were passionate about their, you know, whether it was an opinion or passionate about their life, passionate about climate change. And what I realized is that we really have more in common than we have differences. Now, I focus on that. But when it comes right down to it, we all want the same thing. We all going to survive in this planet. We all have a commitment to making this world a better place. We all have a commitment to sustain this planet. I mean, you can't sink half a ship. You mm. know, if, if any of this go down, we're all going down here. And we got to really start to bring an awareness forward. And we all have something to learn 
And there was such goodwill and such a commitment to understand each other. And I, there weren't randomly selected focus groups, but I just saw a tremendous commitment among all those stakeholders to build a better world and to bring more consciousness to this whole thing that we call climate, uh, conversations around climate change and how our food is produced and how it relates to climate change. I was just really inspired by the whole thing, honestly. It's a really nice, hopeful message in a time where, I don't know, we're feeling pretty polarized these days, but it's, it's good to hear that even in something as, you know, livestock and the environment is a pretty contentious issue, but even you could walk away from a process like that, inspired and hopeful, that sounds really great. Let me tell you how the, where the inspiration came from is it came from conversations. And the, the challenge with social media, yeah, it's, it's a way of amplifying the voice out there. But until you sit down and really, like we're doing right now, until you sit down and really understand each other, you don't see the, the unity that's possible amid our diversity. All right. Well, yeah, let's dive into that strategy part. I don't know if many people ask me this question. Like, maybe it's good to explain what is strategy. Like, like all of us go through strat plans and strategizing, but like, I don't know. What is a strategy, actually? I don't know if anybody's asked you that question before. That's a great question. I don't get asked that question. It seems like we all think we, on, we understand what it means. But in this context, what we're talking about is how do we talk to each other it's a process for talking to people who have a difference of opinion than you do. I mean, it's one thing if we agree on a particular opinion or an approach, it's easy to talk to each other because we're the same. But that's not the way the world is. A healthy ecosystem on the land and a healthy ecosystem in a community is about diversity. If we're all the same, we don't need each other. And so what makes a healthy community is a healthy, diverse community. What's important here is how do we talk to each other in a way that leads to better connection and better understanding rather than more divisiveness? That's, that would be what I would call a strategy in this context. It's a simple process for talking to each other. And yeah, I, I guess let's start with the big question. What is the strategy in a situation like this? Like personally, like anytime I have to talk about like climate and cows or soil carbon sequestration or methane on this podcast, I'm like, I'm going to make somebody angry. Somebody's just not going to be happy. And I, I can feel my stomach tightening up. So I would really benefit from the strategy that you guys produce. So yeah, maybe we should talk about the strategy that came out of all this. So the first strategy is to understand what we call activation, when we're activated. If you say something that goes against something that I believe in, I get activated as a protective response. It's called a stress response. So we go into a part of our brain that goes into what we call uh, survival, which is a, a fight or a flight or a freeze response when I get activated. Now, the reason I get activated is because it's a protective response. So I want to protect my point of view. And if you're attacking my point of view, the brain can't tell the difference between you coming after me with a knife or coming after me with sharp words that I don't agree with. Mm. So it's the, the brain can't tell the difference between reality and fantasy. And the brain also can't tell the difference between the past and the present. So if you bring up something, it's all the same to the brain. 
So if I get activated, that's the first step is to recognize when I get activated and to take responsibility for my activation. Now, the challenge is when I get activated, I will go into a lot of freeze, fight, or flight response, which means if you think about it biologically, if you had a bear come after you, well, you're going to do three things. You're going to fight, you're going to flee, or you're going to freeze. What's going to be the best response? Well, it depends on the appropriateness of the situation and your skills in that situation. But that aside, what's going to happen is if I feel attacked, if my opinion is attacked, I'm either going to defend myself, which is I'm going to fight back and I'll get into a defensive response, or I will flee, which means I'll just shut down and just build up a wall between us and withdraw. Or I'll freeze, which means I just much the same. I just uh, I just stop responding, and I just shut down. And what that either of those responses builds a a wall between us, and it prevents us from really connecting with each other and building a relationship with each other. So the first part of the strategy, the first step, is to recognize when you get activated and to recognize what's going on. And you really don't want to respond from an activated response. You see this all the time, Derek, on social media, where a social media post will happen. Someone will get activated and they will react from an activated response, a judgmental response, an attack. It's a fertile ground for fighting, because, for fight response as a response to this without any clue as to what we're doing except reacting to somebody's opinion because we're all activated and it's a protective it's a biologically protective response but it gets really destructive if we aren't aware of what's going on so the first step is to really get clear what's going on take responsibility to deactivate yourself and to come into that conversation from a deactivated space in other words the default state needs to be relaxation. That's where we need to live. And then we get activated, deal with the stress, and then come back down again. So it's, it's coming down from a relaxed state. You'll have a much higher chance of having success in that bridging process. Okay. So in the case, like, let's just pretend like you just activated me right now. And my response, I usually just dig in my heels at that point. So I don't know if that's like fight or freeze, but how I guess I'm wondering, how do I overcome that? Or just like, it is my biology too. Do I just kind of like let it run its natural process? Or so I recognize it's happening. What do I do next? The process for deactivating that is what Tara Brock calls the RAIN process, which is recognize it, accept it, investigate it, and then non, what she calls non-attachment or letting it go. So when you recognize it, you dig your heels in. That is a probably a flight response where you're backing off. The notion of having your heels dig, dug in, you'll back off. Now, you may switch to a fight response and start to attack me with words. So first thing is to recognize it. I am activated right now. I'm in a stress response. Your comment there put me into a stress response. Now, we, we can go back and you know, analyze it in much more detail about where that stress response came from. But the main thing right now is just to recognize I'm activated right now and to recognize it's not a good, it, you have to override the brain's natural pattern, which is to say you want to attack, you have to override that. 
with a really strong message, this is not the time to overreact. This is a time to recognize it and then accept it. it you know, don't blame yourself. Don't blame the other. Just recognize it and accept this is my response. It's an honest response. It's a biological response. And I'm angry right now. I'm defensive right now. And just accept that without necessarily acting on it. You see, children don't know how to do this because they're not mature enough. Their brain hasn't matured enough. And I see 40-year-olds that aren't mature enough to do this. But we have to take responsibility to recognize it and then accept it and then investigate it. What's really going on? Now, it might mean, you know what, I need to step back and just get some space right now because it's not going to be helpful to, to just react to this. Or I can talk about it. You know, I'm really activated right now. But whatever it is, we need to talk it through, acknowledge it, accept it, and then get to a point where we can actually, what's known in this field is non-attachment or letting it go, at least setting it aside for us to have a conversation. When I'm not in an activated response, the strategy after that is then to listen. Instead of reacting it's really to understand where the other person is coming from. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I was hanging on your uh, every word of that one with the listed one. So it's not always easy to hear uh, opinion that conflicts with your values or your beliefs. So how, how do we do this listening part? These very tricky conversations. The first part, Derek, around listening is, is to get really clear why we're having this conversation. To get really clear on our goal which really probably precedes all the strategies, is to get very clear before you get into an attack. So um, it's always best if you're going to get into a potentially volatile situation. And it's good practice. I would recommend this for all your listeners to find one person in their life who thinks differently than they do. It's counterintuitive to do this. Look around your family. Uh, Look around your friendship world. Uh, you won't have to look far where you'll find somebody that thinks differently politically, thinks differently religiously, thinks differently environmentally, thinks different in terms of what they eat and what their food is. Find somebody that thinks really differently than you and then take them for lunch or sit down with them and have a coffee. But before you have a coffee, you know that you're going to get activated, likely. You're going to have a stress response. It just comes with the territory when you're dealing with somebody different. But decide what your goal is. So here are three goals that I like to have before we have this conversation. Or you can often stop it before you get into a fight in the listening process to stop and say, you know, what? before we get into fighting, let's just agree. Why are we doing this? Why are we having this discussion? Now, if you want to have an agreement to say, let's just have a fight. Let's just have a good argument about that. There's nothing wrong with that. As long as both parties have equal power so that you're not overpowering somebody, but let's just have a good fight about this. If that's what you both mutually agree to, and there's mutual consent around that, there's nothing wrong with that. We're not here to do anything with that other than have a good fight. But I suggest three goals to make it productive. So number one goal is that we're here to understand each other, not agree. Listen, we're not here to agree with each other necessarily. If we come up with an agreement, that's a bonus, but that's not our goal. Our goal is that we understand each other. Number two, we're not going to try to convert each other. I'm not here to convert you or to push you or to you know, control you into thinking the way that I do. I'm not here to evangelize. I'm mm-hmm. here to understand. And number three, 
is that we'll like each other better when we come out of this conversation. We'll feel, we'll feel better about our relationship. So those are three suggested goals that I have before you sit with a family member or someone that you want to understand and say, you know what, can we agree to those three goals? Now, you might come up with different goals, but make sure you have an agreement around the goals before you start this. That will frame the whole thing differently. And then when you get activated, the, 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 way, the best way to deactivate yourself is while you're going through that process is just to listen. Okay. I got reactive. I just got activated right now. I got really defensive. I got really ticked off with what you said. I just need to stop and really understand what you mean. Can you explain what you mean more? And the goal here in listening is to make sure that I put into words what I heard you say. I don't need to agree or disagree, but I put into words what exactly I heard you saying before I then respond. So that you really feel listened to before I get defensive. Because most of us, Derek, get defensive and start attacking before we even understand what they meant. We think we know what they meant, but I got to make sure that I take the time to understand. In the communications field, there's a key principle. It said, seek first to understand before being understood. Mm -hmm. So it's a key principle to say, I really want to understand what you mean. Most of what we react to, Derek, in social media, we're reacting to stuff that we think we understand, but we really have no idea. Is there like a component of like, you know, giving people the benefit of the doubt too in all this? Because I feel like to bring that kind of curiosity, because I'm guilty of it too. If I see the way somebody's dressed, the way they talk, maybe what they do for a job, I'm like, I make three assumptions before I make three goals, probably. And that just might be the way my brain works. I guess there is a lot of like, okay, I have to give this person a chance. You see, you've brought up a really key principle in this whole thing is bringing curiosity into it. Okay. And bringing a sense of, you know what? I don't need to defend myself. I feel good enough about my opinion that I don't need to feel different. In fact, most people that are really defensive, mm often, I won't say always, but often they're feeling insecure and they have this opinion, they're hiding behind their insecurity and they're more susceptible to being uh, defensive. What you bring up is a really good point. If you're really confident Mm. and self-assured in your values and your opinions and your perspective on life, you can be relaxed enough to bring curiosity into the conversation. Mm. And that's totally an attitude that leads to bringing unity and understanding in the midst of diversity. I'm, I'm just really curious. And by the way, curiosity is actually a really good strategy to deal with activation. When you're activated, if you can switch that to curiosity, I, I just tell you really, this is a little bit of a side story. Yeah, go for it. We had an Amazon driver. This is right after a snowfall, right? And he came out to our place and he's delivering like he always does, but there was a slight snow on the, so he couldn't tell the difference between the driveway and the lawn. So he drove over our lawn and it's right over the septic field. So he's starting to sink and he's spinning his tires. Now I ran out the door yelling at the guy. I mean, I, I, I like to say that I practice what I preach, but we all get activated. I got activated. When, he, when you see your lawn sinking and him spinning his tires, he only had summer tires on it. So I start yelling at him. That's what I did when I got activated. And that's a very common response when we get activated. But you know what? Did it help solve the problem? No, it just got him more tense and more anxious and more fearful 
and he spun his tires faster. And it wasn't until I recognized I, I am not helping this situation right now. I need to get out of being activated. And we all struggle with this. We all are challenged with this. I need to get out of that and just say, listen, let's just shut her down for a minute and let's do some problem solving. I'm really curious. How can we get you out of here? What are the options? And it's when I got out of that activated state and into a problem solving curiosity state, then we could solve the problem. But the activation was not helping the situation. I mean, I do workshops with a guy named Dylan Biggs. I don't know if you've ever talked to Dylan, but he does cattle handling, low stress cattle handling, and I do low stress people handling. And so we work together. We have a great time. But, you know, he, he always starts the workshop. How many of you ever been yelled at? Well, this is what happens when, when you can't get control of it, we start yelling. I know I'm uh, digressing here from our topic, but okay. what, what happens often is that you get activated, you can't control something, and then you yell, and it just makes it worse. And what we all need to do, and our whole planet needs to understand this, certainly in, the, in this culture, needs to understand that we need to take responsibility. When we get activated, it is irresponsible, frankly, to communicate with people when we're in an activated state. We need to take responsibility to get ourselves deactivated and, uh, and recognize, I can't blame you for activating me. There's something in me that, got, that was a stress response, but I got to take responsibility for that. So we got two strategies so far. We have the activation one, or at least recognizing when you're activated, the listening one. Were, were there any other strategies? Uh, well, I think the first strategy would be to just make sure you set a goal, to really ah, okay. understand if you get stuck and you start to get reactive, reactionary to each other, you probably have lost touch with what your goal is. Unless mm-hmm. your, your goal is to fight with each other. I wouldn't recommend that for most goals, but <laughs> if you decide that we just want to have a really good argument, you can have fun doing that. Mm-hmm. But if, you're, if your goal is to like each other more and to understand each other more, then I suggest that you have a goal that says, you know what, we're not going to try to agree with each other. Let's not try to convince each other. Let's just be really honest with each other, but listen to each other respectfully. And so, yeah, and then deactivate yourself mm-hmm. and then listen carefully. And then each of you take that turn to listen carefully. And then the fourth strategy would be, you know, where do we go from here? Do we just accept each other? How do we work together? And then you work out a plan for how you work together in the midst of those differences. Now, I have to tell you, Derek, that all of this is predicated on one very key principle, and that is we have to respect each other. There has to be respect and goodwill. You would never do this with somebody where there isn't any goodwill. I don't have any interest to communicate with people that don't have any goodwill or respect toward my opinions. You know, I'm, I'm just probably not going to hang out there. I always say when I learned, I learned this in my family therapy work, that if the respect and the goodwill isn't there, there's nothing that I can do to help you. Um, so, and, and what I always say is that in a family business, if there's no goodwill, then you, you can't have interdependence. So if a brother and sister hate each other, and if, if I hear the words hate, there's no goodwill there. And all we can do is separate the farming operation. The sister goes one way, the brother goes another way, and they treat each other as neighbors and hopefully see each other at Christmas uh, because there's no way you can farm or be in business or be in relationship with people that do not respect you. They don't need to like you. They don't need to agree with you, but there has to be a fundamental sense of goodwill here. Otherwise, there's no point having the conversation from my perspective. 
Really interesting. Okay, like it, it makes sense, and, but I'm just thinking of the feedlot operator and the vegan activist sitting down at that table, and I'm assuming there was respect was quite low when they sized each other up at the start of the conversation. It was in terms of their opinions. Okay. But okay. underneath their opinions, they respected each other as human beings, and they were curious. And they had goodwill to at least understand where the other person is coming from. And that you can have goodwill and be totally on the opposite end of a spectrum of, you know, an opinion. Political, you can be totally on a religious, you can be totally 180 degrees from an opinion from each other. But you say, you know what, we still got to work together here, or we still got to live together, or we still have to find a way to collaborate together. So at least they started with a sense of, of respect for each other. They didn't agree with each other. They really never did, but they at least had respect for each other. And we actually chose that carefully. It would have served this project no good. There would have been nothing good come out of it if we got two people together that hated each other mm. and had no interest whatsoever. Whenever I mediate, I digress a little bit here too, but I learned this in couple therapy. When I was first doing couple therapy, I was in my 20s, naive. And I worked for six months with a couple. Every week, I just was just exhausted trying to get these couple to talk to each other and trying to get them to communicate. And at the end of six months, I said, you know what? I'm done. I, you know, I'm wasting your time. You're wasting my time. I think we should just call this quits. I'm obviously not helping you. I said, can I just ask you before you go, do you want this relationship to work? And that was the first time they ever agreed on anything. They immediately say, no, I have no interest in having this relationship work. And they both said that. Well, what I learned from that, Derek, is to ask that question on the first visit. It'll save you a whole lot of time. Do you want this relationship to work? And so if we brought people together that had no interest in having that relationship work, it would have served no purpose. There wouldn't have been a desire to work through this process. So there has to be a sense of respect for each other. And I that is a decision that each party has to make. And I hope for the sake of our planet that we can begin to respect that just because people think differently doesn't mean they're wrong. It only means that they think differently than we do. And I just don't know enough to have an opinion that's going to be right for the entire planet. I, you know, I do my research, but I always have to be learning. And so I want to think that I have respect for most people because most people are trying to contribute to the solution here, even though it may not appear that way. Anyway, I've digressed a little bit. I hope that makes sense. No, no, no. This is great stuff. I really enjoy it. And I was just also thinking about, like, I don't know, just like the amount of courage it took to put themselves in that situation. Like, they, they must have had an idea that there was going to be a hard conversation at one point, or they're going to feel like nobody's on my side or something like that. But like, yeah, the bravery to even want to participate in something like that, because I'm sure it wasn't easy for them. Oh, yeah, they were, they were very brave. You know, you didn't see the whole probably an hour and a half we were together for that whole thing. It would have been it would have been great to see the whole picture unfold. We just, uh, you know, gave you the, the, you know, the Coles note version. But no, they were both very courageous to come together like that. Not everybody was willing to do that. We had a lot of people turn us down. Oh, I'm not interested in doing that. Yeah, not only courageous, but really compassionate through the whole thing and really committed to understanding each other. As you can imagine, you got a feedlot operator and a vegan sitting down educating each other and, and uh, you know, trying to, you know, come to some kind of an understanding together. And they, they were, uh, it was quite a remarkable conversation, actually.
so sometimes these conversations happen by accident. Like you, you didn't actually need to go into it. And, you know, I've been to workshops where we set the goals at the beginning of the workshop, but like just chatting to a guy like yourself, I'm like, hey, wait, 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 we need to set some goals before we continue with this. Like, what's the nonchalant way of doing that? Or is it possible? Or do you really have to almost be like that abrupt, like the workshop leader? Like, okay, everybody listen, we're going to do goals first. I'd like to portray this idea that life was all that we could all sit down and talk about our goals together, but that's not life. Mm. The reality of it is we get into conversations and we get ticked off at each other and we got to, we got to deal with this like in the, in the real time. Right. Mm. So I, I think the main strategy is just to take responsibility. You don't have to say a thing. You just take responsibility for your own activation and just say, boy, I am activated right now. And while I'm deactivating, and decompressing and kind of processing my own feelings, I just want to sit and listen. The best way, honestly, the real short way of deactivating it is to really just stop your own reaction and go into a listening mode. You know, the number one question, and it makes no sense, but I have never gone wrong with this question. How do you mean? Just ask me. It makes no sense. Mm. But I've never had anybody give me one opinion that you have in your life. Just give me any opinion you have about anything. As a half Austrian, I think Austrian schnitzel is better than German schnitzel. <laughs> How do you mean? It just is better. It tastes better. So first of all, if I was attached to your opinion, mm. I didn't get activated because I'm not attached to your opinion. But right. if I got attached, if I got activated and I started to get defensive, what I'd need to do was just suspend that for a moment and just say, boy, tell me what you mean by that. Tell me how you came up with that conclusion and just ask some open-ended questions to mm. get you talking about what your opinion is. If your listeners get nothing out of our conversation today, if they can just remember whenever you get activated, go to listening, not reacting. <laughs> It'll save you a lot in life. It'll save your, your rear end. It might save your life one day. To just say, you know, let me, let me just understand what you mean by that and why you would come up with that opinion. And then while they're listening, I mean, while they're talking, you obviously want to listen. But afterwards, you can assess whether they're interested in hearing your opinion or not. Uh, well, I've got a different thought on that. You want to hear my opinion on that? After I've summarized what you've said, then I can ask you if you're interested in my opinion. If you're not, that's fine. Then I won't give my opinion. But I could give my opinion. And then if they get defensive about your opinion, stop, and you got to do more. Whenever someone's defensive, what you know they need is to be listened to. So you can, you can de-escalate most situations. If there's, a, if there's any degree of goodwill and respect there, you can de-escalate most situations if you stop defending and go to listening. Solid strategy. Okay. Thank you. But you do agree with me that Austrian schnitzel is better than German schnitzel, right? Let's just. <laughs> What's important is to create a safe place where people can be who they are. Because when people feel safe to be who they are, then they don't need to get defensive. And so what you're doing here in this podcast is creating a safe place for us to have a conversation. I hope I'm doing my part to create a safe place for us to have a conversation without fighting with each other, because fighting with each other only indicates that we don't feel safe, that we're in that stress response. So the goal in all of this is to create a what we call a psychologically safe place 
for people to be who they are, express what they want to express, and ask for what they need in an environment where they won't be judged. That's, the, that's really ultimately the goal. And that's how we build a better community, not through agreement, but through people feeling safe to be different and to be who they are. Maybe I'm being a little facetious and a little bit of the devil's advocate here, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Why is it important to bridge these echo chambers specifically around the livestock and environment? Yeah, it's a great question. It's not being a devil's advocate at all. I think it's a great question and I appreciate you asking it actually. You know, I think we all have to evaluate this for ourselves. I don't know whether this planet's going to survive or not. Mm. I mean, I, I know the planet will survive. I just don't know whether human beings on this planet in our current trajectory are going to survive. So it could very well be, Derek, that this is our survival is actually dependent on the answer to this question. If we start to get all of the stakeholders together, because frankly, you can't live on this planet without having a carbon footprint, but we better understand what that is, what we are contributing to emissions, what we are contributing to pollution, and we better take a look at it. And we better be open and curious because if this ship is going down and under its current trajectory, you know, there's lots of scientists today that would tell you that, but under the current circumstances, we better, we better learn together and we better realize that we can't throw anybody off this ship, that we all have a place here and that we better figure out a way to get along. Now that's from an environmental perspective, it could very well be our survival. From a personal community perspective, we are just living in a very polarized world right now. We are living in racial polarization, political polarization. And the pandemic has created an environment where it's made it a little more difficult, though not impossible, but it's made it a little more difficult because we haven't had as much in-person face-to-face, sitting-down conversations. And so we've relied more on social media, and we've just become very divided as a society. And it's not helping our mental health. It's not helping our well-being. It's not helping ourselves. And so I think we have a responsibility to say, how can I contribute to the overall community that we live in? How do I contribute to the world, to the relationships within the world? How do I make this world a better place? I think that's why I care about this project. You know, I, I can't change the world, but I can change myself. And I'm going to do my part to make this world a little bit better. Anything else you, you want to get off your chest or something else that needs to be said about the issue or the project? My brother was a rural doctor for 35 years. He was the rural doctor in Sundry, actually. In 2013, he was awarded uh, Alberta's Outstanding Family Physician. And he went to Vancouver to receive his award. It was a peer voted uh, award uh, nominated by his peers. And he went to Vancouver to receive his award. And uh, about three days before he was to receive his award, he collapsed in the arms of his wife. And he ended up in the uh, Vancouver General Hospital, which ironically is the hospital where he was born. Hmm. And uh, he was diagnosed about a week later with an anaphylactic astrocytoma, which is a brain tumor that he knew would take him down. He lived another three and a half years. And I took care of him. I didn't do the heavy lifting. He stayed at home through his illness until he, died, until he passed. His wife and he had a caregiver and I, I, I subbed them off once a week. So I went up there once a week. I, I pushed him around his wheelchair, around his hospital grounds, and his patients would come out and hug him and they cried and his staff, his team, his colleagues. And I said, what makes a great doctor? He, just, I mean, he, was, 
he wasn't just respected and he wasn't just admired. He was loved by his community. And I said, what, what makes a great doctor? And they, they said, what makes a great doctor is that he cared. He cared about his work, he cared about his community. He cared about his life. He cared about making a difference. And he cared about his staff and his team. And I actually wrote a book called Caring is Everything that came out of that. I used to think, think you had to know something to write a book about. I've written seven books. What I've learned is when I start writing a book, I don't know. I, 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 don't, I used to think you had to know something. But what I've learned is if you want to learn something, write a book about it. So I wrote this book on caring. And the message that I want to leave here is that this is all about caring. We need to stop and care more for each other. We need to care about our land. We need to care instead of taking this planet for granted. We need to care about what we're doing to her. We need to care about each other. And even if we're different, even if we have a different opinion, let's be grateful that we have diversity. But let's take the time to care enough. You know, not unlike, Derek, what you're doing right now. You care enough to sit down and listen to a guy like me for an hour. That's caring. And what the world needs today is more caring. And I think that would be the message that comes out of this. We need to all realize, you know what? We have something in common. We all got this thing called a belly button. And let's think about what we have in common. And let's build on our commonalities instead of divide around our differences. And let's build on our humanness. And hopefully, we'll make this a more fully human planet to live on. So thank you very much for uh, the opportunity to let me have a voice here. It means a lot to me. Rural Roots to Climate Solutions is an Alberta-based initiative empowering agriculture producers and the communities they live in with climate solutions. Rural Roots runs workshops, farm field days, webinars, and social innovation labs. We produce a farmer's blog. We work with rural communities to develop their own renewable energy projects. And of course, we do this podcast. For more information about us and what we do, go to the website, which is www.rr2cs.ca. For more information about the Bridging the Echo Chambers Project and Food Water Wellness Foundation, go to www.foodwaterwellness.org. This project has been made possible in part by the Government of Canada and the Government of Alberta through the Canadian Agricultural Partnership. My parts of the podcast were recorded in Calgary, which means they were recorded on Treaty 7 lands and in Métis Region 3.